Hello, Better Than Shakespeareans, and welcome to another episode of Better Than Shakespeare, the only podcast that brings you in-depth discussion of plays based on works of French critical theory. Today on the program, we're talking about Soft Cops by Carol Churchill, which is her sort of theatrical adaptation of Discipline and Punish by Michel Foucault. Um, Foucault's book has its jokes, but Carol Churchill's play, arguably funnier. Uh, It's a very good play. We enjoyed it a lot. Um, FTP, Google LASD gangs, defund the police, all cops are bastards, etc, etc. This is really the the origin point, or Discipline to Punish is really the origin point, at least as far as I'm concerned, for uh, uh, all cops are bastards, and that includes uh, gym teachers, uh, uh, mean doctors, nice doctors, uh, principals, hall monitors, etc. Resist uh, discipline in all its many forms. Have a nice day. Hello, Better Than Shakespeareans, and welcome to another episode of Better Than Shakespeare. I'm Andy Boyd. And I'm Danny Erickson. I feel like I get more Casey Kasem on that every week. That's good. The only way you can beat Casey Kasem is to become him. <laughs> Astute listeners may know that we don't actually release an episode every week, but what they don't know is that we do record an episode every week, and we only We're release sure. the we best We only keep ones. the best for you all. <laughs> um... So today we're talking about Soft Cops by Carol Soft Cops, the only play based on Foucault's Discipline and Punish. I think that's, that's certainly true. not true, but but um, it feels true when you said it. Feels true. Uh, just a great a great period in her career when she would just read an incredibly dense book of like history or theory and then be like, oh yeah, that could be a two hour play. Yeah, I need to process this, and I don't know. I'm a playwright. Why not? Yeah. I read Let's this have Christopher... a public conversation about this. Yeah. Um, so I, it's good. This, it's fun. Play, it's a fun play. She she already had the idea to write a play about the sort of uh, cuddly coerciveness of uh, the the kind of late seventies British welfare state, and uh, and she was looking around and ran across this book by this. French philosopher Michel Foucault, not super well known at the time, I don't think, at least uh, not not outside of academic circles. And she said, "You know, I think this is the play. I think I'll just write a play that is discipline and punish." And it's uh, following specifically uh, two two figures, Vidoc and uh, Lessonaire, uh, mm-hmm. who Vidoc is a sort of a, a master thief turned head of police. Um. And Lassenaire is this sort of like not very good, but flamboyantly self-promoting uh, robber. Yeah. So flamboyantly uh, for- member, former member of the bourgeois class who has fallen on hard times and turned to a life of crime. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and kind of takes us through these, lovely little vignettes this this was interesting i feel like just the fact that there aren't scene divisions in this made it a very made these sort of little vignettes sort of congeal together for me in a way that was more effective than the vignettes in um like light shining in buckinghamshire for example sure. where they really do feel like separate little plays like this sort of all flowed together in a really nice way so much about um, this play is and about discipline and punish is about it's all set in the public sphere where mm-hmm. these uh like a it, it feels like i don't know just a um, immense train of various punishments or modes of punishment are kind of ambling down the street and we have a one third central figure who is pierre who is a young man trying to figure out how best to operate a prison Oh, and he's a great character. I, oh, he's I, wonderful. I have a lot of Pierre stuff because he's just this sort of um, kind of lovable fascist, you know? Yeah, sort of absolutely. Like trying to figure out, he has this this sort of uh, hilarious idea that he's going to create a park where he'll put on display all the different criminals so that people will walk around this nice 
kind of English garden and then look up and there's a there's a regicide oh, hanging I won't in a be cage. A regicide. I have learned my lesson. Uh, <laughs> I was confused who was it, but there's a big placard around his neck that says, I tried to kill the king. And then you'll see that's what happens to people who try to kill the king. Uh-uh, that's not what I want to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, should we start with the uh, headmaster child scene on, uh, a couple pages in? Sure, just a moment. So this is a, a some school children are t- are being uh, are are taken to a public execution for you know educative purposes, which is the whole purpose of a public execution in the first place to educate yeah. the children. Uh, is, so is this right at the beginning of the play? Yeah, the headmaster says that gentleman is the magistrate. See his wise face, kind and stern. Ah, that's so cute. Ah, uh, papa. I can use wise and stern. Sorry, I'm on my phone. So I can't flip and provide the the beautiful. Uh, Are you good? Am I good? Yeah, you just said ow, 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 ow. Oh, no, I was just doing a flip noise. Oh, yes. Um... Is this before or after Duval starts speaking? Before Duval, it's like uh, it's like three pages in in my version. Okay, got it. Okay, I don't want me to be the headmaster. Sure. Okay, that gentleman is the magistrate. See his wise face, kind and stern. Here comes the cart. See the villain. You can see the weakness and evil. His. <laughs> That's so funny to me. It's really good. His right hand. Physiognomy. Physiognomy is so dumb. The <laughs> idea that like the person who's a thief has a big thief-like face. Like, it is stupid. dumb, and it's also like the way Dostoevsky does characterization. So I feel like it has something yeah, going no. for it. I mean, I mean, to to be fair, um, physiognomy makes sense when you are in a situation where if you are a thief, you will have had a scar in the shape of a T put on your face. Sure, sure. Like, at that point, there is a legibility of the face uh-huh. that has been created by the punishment apparatus of the state. Um, all right, I'll keep going. His right hand, which did the evil deed, is clad in red. One of these men is the executioner. Ah, that one in red. He carries an instrument of justice. What does red symbolize? Blood, sir. And? Passion, sir. And then Pierre says, get that ribbon off. Off. Pierre realizes the workmen have gone and gets the ribbon off himself. And the headmaster says, what will he do with the wicked man? Hang him, sir. Wrong. Hurt him, sir? Hurt him, yes. Can somebody be more precise? Cut off his hand, sir. Yes, you can see it written on the notice. Uh, he will cut off the hand that stole the leg of lamb. Please, sir, shouldn't they cut his leg off, sir? <laughs> and then let's go into the Pierre minister uh, bit. Um uh, they came down the hill, a moment of great solemnity. The power of the law struck home to the heart and mind. The pigeons flew up. You see the notices, sir, explaining so everyone understands what is happening and isn't carried away by emotion. They can't read. Uh, the magistrate also makes a speech, sir, and each condemned man makes a speech. Some of them can read, sir. A few of them, may- maybe not. Uh... And then headmaster says, your country loves its children like a father. And when the children are bad, the country grieves like a father and punishes like a father. The procession stops by the scaffold. Uh, there's a word, and the magistrate says, there's a word here not very clearly written. Uh, I, can't, I can't read my own writing. Whatever you think. Execution? Very likely. A, a headmaster has brought his pupils. The use of punishment as education. This is a day of mourning. Oh, 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 excuse me. It's execration. Day of mourning. No, the word here. Execration. Very good. I would never have thought of that. Execration. Let me make a note. This is a day of mourning. We are, you see, in black. We mourn that one of our citizens has broken the law. We mourn that we must separate ourselves from this citizen and inflict this, pe- inflict this penalty upon him. Black symbolizes our grief and our, ha, execration of his crime. This man has with his right hand. Hold it up. Hold it up committed an act against his fellow man, and it is with grief that his right hand will be taken from him. We do not rejoice in vengeance. There will be no singing and dancing, no cursing and fighting. It is a sad necessity for him and for us. 
our social order. Meanwhile, one of the children fidgets is taken out of line by the headmaster, caned on the hand, and returned to his place. The rest of the children stand motionless. The minister says, can't we get on with the punishment? Well, this is the general introduction to the whole never bore a mob. We're about halfway. Where's the executioner? Uh, thank you. We'll stop there. Thank you. And they all clap. And then um, there's, you know, let's just keep going in the Pierre Duval. Now, scene, now the condemned man funny. will speak. This is, Listen this whole, and learn. Music. The whole opening of this play is just incredible. It's okay, wonderful. so Duval is the, 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 the condemned man. Yes, Duval climbs onto the scaffold. There are cheers from the crowd. Wait till the music stops. Now. I, Jacques Duval. Go on. I, Jacques Duval. Don't, don't cry. Speak up. Tears of repentance. I, Jacques Duval, under sentence of having my right hand cut off. Hold it up. Good. Call out. Call out. Theft. Crime of theft. Cut off for the crime. Theft. Crime of theft. Cut off. Fellow citizens... Call out to my fellow citizens. Learn. Learn by my terrible example. Never steal, even if you're hungry, because... Because it is against the laws. Laws of our beloved country. And your hand will be cut off. <laughs> up, up. That's right. I'm very sorry what I done. Good. And submit, is it? Submit the punishment the judge give me. Gladly. Gladly submit. Judge give me, and... I am happy. I am happy. To be an example. Example. To you all. All. Watch. Watch what is done to me today and remember it tomorrow. If you are sorry for me. Yes, that's it. Keep the law. Go on. Go on. Go on. No, keep the law. Yes. And then I'll know my pain did some good. I don't know what comes after. That's all. Oh, <laughs> uh, so good. <laughs> um, and then the minister has some notes. I'll read that. I'll read his monologue, which follows. Sure, um, sure. It's over very quickly. I don't count the talking. When I was a boy, one punishment would last from noon till sunset. You could buy food and drink. I remember one time they lit a fire to throw the corpse on in the late afternoon, and he, he held on and held on, and they had to build the fire up again in the evening. It was still glowing at midnight, and people still standing. That was the wheel, of course. You don't see it now. People don't want to read. They don't want speeches. You'll drive them away. And what's the use of a punishment if nobody sees it? What brings a crowd, it's very simple, is agony. I'm not saying they don't appreciate something fine. They like an executioner who's good at his job. They like fine instruments. Nothing upsets a crowd more than hacking. <laughs> but they like something unusual, and they like a man to stay conscious so he doesn't miss it. <laughs> there's, there's a good crowd here today. Uh, that's, that's the novelty. They don't want a school, they want a festival. A festival means riots. People attack the executioner. And the soldiers shoot them down. That is historically true. There were multiple executions where, uh, you know, where people ended up siding with the uh, <laughs> the victim and, uh, like, rioted and got him off the stage. Yeah. Um, amazing. Great stuff. So fun. Um, yeah. So so what do, what do you make of this? Uh, this is sort of the... <laughs> <laughs> Every play has to start with setting the status quo, and this play does a great job <laughs> of just being like, this is how people thought about punishment in the early 1700s in France, you know? Yeah. And it's this sort of carnivalesque, I mean, apparently not as carnivalesque as in the good old days, but it is this sort of like carnival of punishment, this like spectacle, um, not unlike, you know, the Roman Colosseum. Everybody's bored all the time. There's no TV shows. One guy comes through every two months to tell a shitty puppet show. <laughs> but every now and again, every now and again, you get to go to the town square and a guy gets his hand cut off. Boy, you, that is a story you'll tell your kids. <laughs> That's why you build a civilization. Ooh, boy, do you. Uh, it's fun. Um, I want to read... A uh, little Pierre monologue to just give you. We talked about his garden of earthly delights, uh, but I, I just want to get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Please. This, what I visualize, you see, is a garden of laws where over several acres. Oh, one, with one, quick thing, bushes, one quick thing. Sorry. I just saw a child has been punished in the stage notes, and the uh, headmaster tells the young boy, Luke, to please hold your hands in the air and not put them down. And then, then your speech starts. What I visualize you see is a garden of laws where over several acres with flowering bushes, families would stroll on a Sunday and there would be displayed every kind of crime and punishment. 
different colored hats, different colored posters, guides to give lectures on civic duty and moral feeling, and people would talk, would walk gravely and soberly and reflect, and for the worst crime, parasite. An, open, an iron cage hanging high up in the sky, symbol of the rejection by heaven and earth. From anywhere in the city, you could look up and see him hanging there, in the sun and the snow, year after year. Quietly take it to heart. A daily lesson. The headmaster wipes blood off Pierre's face, then turns to Luke. You may put your arms down now. And the uh, headmaster and uh, children go off stage. And um, and this is, I feel like, actually does get to a sort of like interesting question uh, from a theoretical standpoint is if the prison system is meant to be a deterrent, why does the state do everything it possibly can to hide the prison system from us? Yeah. Um, why is punishment put off behind bars? Why uh, are, are press barred from going and reporting on what's going on inside prisons? Why are Congress people not allowed to go into prisons yeah. if there's a riot going on? It's really weird. And it like <laughs> this was uh, what what prison reform meant in the uh, late 18th and early 19th century, at least in Foucault's account, was um, depublicizing mm-hmm. the act of punishment, if not the uh, prison itself. And uh, Angela Davis points out in Our Prisons Obsolete that uh, the the political project of the prison system is prison reform that it's it's not it's not an oppositional uh stance to think to say you know prisons should be you know more efficient or you know should have better programming or etc like that's actually just like also like maybe on its on its own merits might be a good thing but we shouldn't think that that's getting us closer to an abolitionist horizon if there's a uh, a wonderful the passage that sticks in my head from discipline and punish on this um, it's towards the end of the piece, and I won't read it too long, but he, he makes this little point, which is that uh, the criticisms for a century and a half, uh, the, the, for a century and a half, the prison has always been offered uh, as its own remedy. We need a better prison, a more efficient prison, uh, a kinder prison, the reactivation of the penitentiary techniques as the only means of overcoming their perpetual failure. Uh, the realization of the corrective project as the only method of overcoming the impossibility of implementing it. Uh, and uh, it's, in- it's, o- it's interesting that he goes through uh, various uh, aspects of prison reform and the prison regime. And he says, word for word, from one century to the other, the same fundamental propositions are repeated. They reappear in each new, hard-won, finally accepted formulation of a reform that has hitherto always been lacking. The same sentences, all or almost the same, could have been borrowed from other fruitful periods of reform, the end of the 19th century and the movement of social defense, or again, the last few years with the prisoners' revolts. One must not, therefore, regard the prison, its failure, and its more or less successful reform as three successive stages. One should think, rather, of a simultaneous system that historically has been superimposed on the juridical deprivation of liberty. And he goes on and just kind of ultimately asks this same question of, uh, why are we assuming the prison has been failing? Perhaps we should ask if this uh, has... If this system, with its all all its reforms in place, uh, if this massive system of society-wide punishment and quote-unquote rehabilitation uh, has lasted for over a hundred years, uh, we should ask what it's doing, what positive role it is playing in society. Positive, not in the sense of good, uh, yeah, just a good thing, but in the sense of like, no, this is doing something for somebody. Mm-hmm. There are interest groups that uh, who benefits, get, yeah. It uh, he 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 uh, it produces knowledge. The state, in all of its brutish uh, brutality, uh, not just regular brutality, but a, a brutish brutality, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is uh, it's learning how to better do its job. That's a, that's like a, a classic like anthropological move to be like if somebody says they're doing something for a particular reason, but what they're doing isn't doing the thing that they say they're doing, then like 
that that's that's an interesting situation. Yeah, that, well, that it, leads it's us not, ask- it, we're not necessarily saying that um, the prison reformers don't believe the prison should be better. Um, it's just weird. It sure, uh, it sure that person would probably benefit from some psychoanalysis, and we would uh, probably generally <laughs> benefit from not taking their beliefs about what they're doing as the immediate obvious truth of the situation. Well, Danny, now you've uncovered the real reason why uh, insurance doesn't cover psychoanalysis. Ah, uh, yes, that it's too good. <laughs> it's too good. It teaches. It works people. too well. Ah, uh, alas. Um. I want to read a little, another little part, just Please. the scene right after that between just the minister and the doc scene, just until Pierre arrives. It's about a page and a half. Yeah. Um, uh, the best informer we have is Vidoc. He's a villain, but he catches villains. I have a good mind to persuade him to change his way of life and make him chief of police. Here comes the minister. He can't do without me, but everyone treats informers like dirt. I have a good mind to persuade him to trust me and make me chief of police. Is that you, Vidoc? What is the real color of Vidoc's hair? I don't know myself. Gray by now, do I wear spectacles? Is this mustache real or stuck on? If it's real, did I grow it as a disguise? Or will it be a disguise when I shave it off? Who have you come to see, sir? And do you see him? I see someone useful. Always that, sir. I'm 20 men and all of them at your service. I have a special job for you, Vidoc. I'll be glad to do it, sir, whatever it is. This is going too fast. He'll never accept if I ask him point blank. I'm being too eager. He won't believe if I'm not. He won't believe I'm not tricking him. We'll talk about it later. You may not be the right person for this particular enterprise. Yes, I'm not that interested in sneaking. I can manage without your services. I can do without you at all. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible, sir. I hear you've had a great success in arresting the notorious regicide Fieschi. I think it's Fieschi because it's Italian. Yeah, that matters. Great, thank you. <laughs> he, he he tried to kill a king. We should respect him. <laughs> All hail, comrade Fie- Fieschi. This is a yeah. This is a pro uh, pro anti king podcast. Great. Can uh, Ken saying you think regicides are good get get you put on a watch list? Uh, no, not in America, baby. Not in we America. hate kings. We, we, we have we, a whole we holiday like about it. Well, I'm, I'm talking about kings that exist today. Uh, yeah, Juan Carlos of Spain, we're coming for you. Yeah. Oh, boy. The Queen of Sweden? Um, okay, we're not done yet. <laughs> well, we are not. Sorry, just to be clear, we are not going to be assassinating uh, Juan Carlos of Spain. <laughs> that, that is, a, that is a, a, a jape, a joke. I will say, I will say, generally, uh, uh, not a friend, Juan Carlos of Spain. No, yeah. But the well, fact we don't that, like you, we're not a pro monarchy podcast. That's that's for sure. But the fact that um, Franco tried to get him to come back and rule as an absolute monarch, and he was like, "Oh, absolutely not! It's a, we're going to do a democracy now." And that's how, like, that's certainly the funniest way funny. fascists have it's a lot of power. <laughs> like the most inspiring yeah. is that is the Portuguese army realizing that uh, the people of Angola were their brothers, uh, de- refusing yeah, to fight the sure. revolution, and then taking uh, refusing to fight their revolution, and then taking that revolutionary energy back to Portugal and overthrowing the military dictatorship there. That's the most inspiring example. But the funniest one is just like uh, a fascist is more monarchist than the actual monarch, yes, and that's yeah. that's why the fascists lose power. Like moi, chef's kiss. The King of Italy tried to do that right at the end of World War II, and uh, people were not that uh, willing to uh, accept this idea after he had been working with Mussolini for about a decade. Yeah. Uh, do you want to read the just these last couple of lines? Uh, this is, uh, I've heard, uh, yes. Uh, it's not generally known, but I don't mind telling you. He was discovered yesterday, drunk in an attic. The police don't often have such luck. It takes skill to catch a man like that. Yes, I'm quite surprised they manage it. The police force is a force to be reckoned with. I have nothing against the police force as such. It's not as efficient as it might be. That's exactly what I think myself. Ah. That is like, that could be in a Marx Brothers movie. Like that, Absolutely. that's so good. It's so funny. It's really good. Um, there's a really interesting passage on Vidoc in the Foucault. Uh, ba where it presents him as, uh, I mean, it's interesting that there are like three or four pages on Vidoc and Lassenaire that are basically fleshed out into about a third of this play. Yeah. 
It's very she, cool. I think she also read their memoirs. Oh, that makes she, a lot of sense. She yeah. mentions that the that the copy that she got from the British Library was like Vidoc's personal copy signed with his signature. It's really cool. <laughs> She's like, one, you can just nice take it home. In... Libraries, guys, right? Amazing. Yeah. In the uh, in the note um, at the beginning of the play, she does point out that the play was written under a Labour government mm-hmm. and uh, ended up getting performed uh, or at least published in under Thatcher. Uh, and a mode of police that is perhaps more common to our American listeners. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, let, let, let's. Uh... Yeah, this guy Fieschi ends up getting uh, executed around the same time um, as it's Lost. Actually pronounced, it's actually pronounced Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. Uh, and Lassenaire's execution, Lassenaire, this uh, petty criminal, was is presented as the uh, the press focuses heavily on him, so that we uh, so that they don't need to ask the difficult questions about, uh, hey, why would someone want to kill a king? It's rough. Uh... There's a fun cameo. Uh, are you finding something to read? I'm I'm flipping through. You go if you have one. There's a fun cameo by uh, Jeremy Bentham. That scene is one that I'd I'd love to do. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go, l- l- let's uh... the 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 part I just yeah we'll get to it. But the part where uh, Bentham makes Pierre just sit there and get looked at is so funny, and it it's goes really on good. for so long. <laughs> it's really long. Uh, I think this is maybe Churchill's like just joke for joke funniest play. It's a very funny. Uh, do you, can we can we read some of the Lassenaer scenes? Yeah, sure. They're so silly. So his so Lassenaire is in prison. And, I love when, uh, when Pierre tries bu- to make friends with him. Yes, and a bunch of and it's it's really funny. And a bunch of rich men and uh, the police Vidal come in and put a great deal of food before him. And apparently he did have an enormous feast right before he died. Uh, he says, I can't live out there. I'd rather be in prison with my brothers. I have a society of the rich. Here's a society of the rich and a society of the wretched. I identify with the wretched. I, too, have been rejected. I, too, seek vengeance. Murder is an example to others. I am an example, a man of good birth, a poetic genius who has deliberately made himself a murderer with these hands. Then there's a chorus of rich men. They go, he's so young. All he's, All he's been through. <laughs> yes, but you can see in his eyes. Never, never trust, trust eyes, eyes like that. that. It's the it's shape, the shape of, his of his skull. No, no it's, it's his free will. <laughs> his pure self-interest. I conduct my business like that. <laughs> so this is, we're just doing the Danny reads all the parts thing today. I guess, I guess. <laughs> I says, thought we were gonna do it uh, uh, opposing the lines, but then it sounded like we were doing it together, and then I saw, and then I just read all the lines. Like no, you said. it's fun. I liked it. Um, Minister says he looks like a success. The uh, the policeman, do you trust me? Uh, I think I have to. And lost an air. My mother never loved me. That may be the explanation you're looking for. If I'd been born forty years earlier, I would have been a hero of the revolution. I would have pulled down the city. I would have pulled the. I would like to pull the city down. Rich man says, "I pulled down six of my houses yesterday, and the tenants ran out like rats." I'll save a fine chair, a painting of Napoleon, and a silk scarf. The rest can go. I don't like ugliness. Nor do I. I have nothing in my house but beautiful things. I hate beauty worse. Applause. <laughs> Phrenologist. The bumps on his head indicate that he is not aggressive. He is rather of a timid disposition. Timid? Timid. With this hand, yes. Oh, of course. Go on. Write down every word I say. Feel my bumps. Cut me up when I'm dead. It's still not me. You'll never know. I am a secret. What? What? Another rich man. Uh, you'll never know. I am a secret. Pierre, but he shouldn't be a secret if he's a spectacle. The headmaster says, my pupils have no time for secrets. If Lassenaire has had been properly educated, he'd feel the right things for people to see. There's something new here. I can't quite. Lassenaire says, why do you kill animals? Me? I don't think. Uh, don't, don't you eat meat? Don't you hunt? You've designed ways of torturing animals as delicate as your furnishings, and you call me a murderer. He killed his kitten by hitting it against the wall, and he cried for hours. I have a horror 
of all suffering. But you only understand if it happens to someone like you, so you murder every day. I have sacrificed myself to prove it. You can't understand love, but you understand fear. I'm going to die tomorrow, and when I die, everything I've ever seen will come to an end. The city will fall. Your chandeliers are down. That's my vengeance. I think you can probably stop there. I love yeah, that character. Just so so I, I think we should, we should be clear. Uh, La Sonere was not good at crime. <laughs> in uh, in Foucault's... This is like such a type in like French culture. The like... Oh, oh, it's really good. Gentleman poet, petty thief who always gets caught. Like that's that's Genet, you know? that's This is like a hundred years earlier, but it's the yeah, same. And La Sonere very much was like one of the chief models of this very, very goofy figure. Um, because in America we at least I feel like we have like our thieves have a sort of like uh bootstrap individualism where we admire them because they're like good at their job you know yeah so like like Ocean's Eleven Ocean's Eleven is that's an American you've got uh you've got the gangsters they know what they're doing they've got a system but they care about family because they're Italians but you've got but we've also got what Omar from The Wire. Uh-huh. There's a very modern artistic yeah, sure. depiction. Uh, m- most important uh, Robin Hood figure, uh, Darius, the guy who just loves uh, driving New York City trains, even though he is not a train operator. <laughs> and for a, for the it seems since he was like nine years old, just like made friends with a bunch of workers in the MTA. And every single he's been arrested many times. He's currently in prison. It's a travesty of justice. Uh, Just let him drive the train. He loves you know? riding trains. He loves taking want- shifts for people, riding trains for free. He's better at driving trains than most of the train operators. Let Darius free. Just let him do it. Let Darius free. Make this Darius is, the head of the MTA. This is this is my vision of crime. Everybody does their jobs for free. Communism. But this is the. Um... Yeah, I mean, Alassanar, I feel like, is is uh, is a, a hard figure to assimilate for somebody like Pierre or for a lot of kind of liberal prison reform type people. Uh, uh, for he... liberal prison reformers, I will say different. Uh, Foucault, I think it's worth reading this uh, okay. beginning of this paragraph. So Alassanar's presence, assured forever in the paradise of the estates of crime, is surprising enough. Despite all his goodwill, his neophyte's zeal, he was only able to commit, and even then with a singular lack of skill, no more than a few minor crimes. He was so strongly suspected of being a police spy that the administration had to protect him against his fellow prisoners who tried to kill him. (laughs) And it was the fashionable society of Louis-Philippe's Paris that gave him, before his execution, a feast beside which many a later literary resurrection have been little more than academic homage. His fame owed nothing either to the extent of his crimes or to the art of their conception. It was their ineptitude that gave cause for surprise. (laughs) But he's really mean. He's really mean. I I think we can give Churchill a lot of credit for writing a very funny play, but it should be noted that, like, Discipline and Punish is a uniquely funny work of, like, academic philosophical history. There's a scene scene in early Foucault's got jokes, too. Where there's one guy who killed uh, a priest who killed uh, uh, who, who who killed one of their parishioners? Who is the the officials have to cart them to the execution, and they're worried that if like the the cart will be in the open air, and they're worried that if people see the priest, they'll take him out and kill him with their own hands, and that would be uncivilized. And so uh, there's another per- a thief, a common thief who's going to be executed, and the com- they switch clothes so that if they take the common thief down and kill him. At least the, the mob hasn't killed a member of the clergy. Save that for the official executioners. Mm-hmm. And Foucault really makes a deeply comic setting where the common thief gets really into this and starts playing to the crowd. And the priest is quite abashed and a little bit insulted that nobody recognizes him. <laughs> and, so back to the loss and air, um, the important thing, and it's mentioned in what we just said, which is that the important thing of Lassenaire and where he's functional for the for the regime is that until quite recently, figures like Lassenaire had represented a threat. A generation earlier, he would have been a revolutionary, a Jacobin, 
a regicide. Had he been a contemporary of Robespierre, his rejection of the law would have been would have taken a directly political form. But in 1800, uh, his character bears the trace of these possibilities, but they took the form of theft, murder, and denunciation. All these potentialities became a delinquency of no great moment. In this sense, Lassenaire is a reassuring character. Hmm. And so Lassenaire is taken as a figure of crime being reduced and uh, in, uh, revolt being reduced to delinquency, to, the, to something that can be studied by phrenologists. Just as Vidocq is taken as uh, this delinquency, once it's created, being turned back on the delinquents itself as the chief of police. Hmm. That's interesting. So then we have, uh, all throughout the play, Pierre wants uh, to have various uh, exciting punishments presented. Uh, and people just aren't interested in the placards. It's not working. But then, uh, do you want to read that? Uh, he, has a, he has a meeting with a, uh, an elder statesman of the prison reform movement. And you want to read this? The, the the Jeremy Bentham scene, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, I'll be Bentham. Cool. You I'm seem gonna... to be suffering, my boy. Oh, it, it, it's, it's worth uh, discussing. Let's let's do the chain gang song. The whole thing? <laughs> uh, well, let's. Uh, so there's a, a group of. No, actually. Is there a discussion between Pierre and a boy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So sure. uh, we have a boy who's terrified to go on the chain gang. Oh, this is the worst punishment, you see. Oh, no, 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 no. And then the chain gang walks around the stage, comes back on, and uh, the boy then says uh, he is free. Uh, it's see, Let's have the discussion between Pierre and the warder. Okay. The warder uh, says, it's not what I'd call an education, sir. I, I should stand further over here if I was you. No, if teach, if it teaches bad men how to be worse, and it teaches them pride in it. But, but what does it teach the crowd who sees them? <laughs> it teaches the crowd to riot. Oh, dear. It teaches hate of the rich, scorn of the obedient, defiance of fate. Oh, but surely... The whole country's in an uproar, sir, when the chain gang's gone through. That's because there are no placards. Lowest of the low, the chain. Don't have to behave. Not like... You and me with jobs to lose. You don't envy them, surely. Want to try it, sir? You might enjoy it. I've got a spare collar here. Well, no. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't stand there if I were you. And now the chain gang have taken from their pockets ribbons, plated straws and flowers, and are decorating themselves and each other. Pierre approaches them. E excuse me now. Uh, you have chains on. Are they very heavy? Out of my way, shitface! This is the same boy from earlier who'd been so afraid. Do you feel your guilt brought home to you? No, of course, you're the poor wretch who's innocent. No, of course I'm not fucking innocent. What do you take me for? I done a murder they never found out. I done two. I done six. I done a landlord. I done a banker. I done a policeman. And their cheers from the chain gang, they start to dance and sing. And then we have a big long song that's very funny. Uh, what do these people want with us? Do they think they'll see us cry? We rejoice in what's done to us. And our judges will die. Pierre asks, supposing I was to write a placard, would you wear it round your neck? <laughs> oh, uh, it ends, uh, children, break your chains. It's not for very long. The king and queen will carry them when they hear our song. Children, break your chains. They're beating on a drum. Our star is shining in the sky and our day will come. Children, break your chains. Children, break your chains. Children, break your chains. The child gang rush off, Pierre's left, battered. An old man approaches. It is Jeremy Bentham. <laughs> that's that stage direction, an old man approaches, it is Jeremy Bentham, is, like, so funny to me. I don't know what's funny about it, but just, like, oh, casual Jeremy <laughs> Bentham arrives on the scene for no reason. Yeah, for sure. Or, <laughs> like, he takes off his mask, and it, the crowd gasps in recognition. You know, Not he's, Jeremy he's... Bentham? You know, Jeremy Bentham's body is on display at, like, Cambridge or Oxford or something because he thought it might give people a little bit of utility uh, to, like, see his body. So he's like, well, it's, it's going to give nobody pleasure if it's rotting in the ground, but somebody might want to see it if it's just on display. I I mean, okay, so that's very silly. But uh, I don't know. Like, I basically agree with that. 
yeah, I guess organ donation should be used, uh, uh-huh, ticked uh-huh. down the box, and yeah, donate your skeleton to science. Sure, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay, I'll read. Uh, I'll read. Fine. Probably there's be... two cops. Can I be Bentham? I'm going to be Bentham. You can be Bentham, yes. You seem to be suffering, my boy. No, never mind, sir. No, it's only me. Greatest happiness of the greatest number, sir. That's all right, then. Mr. Bentham, I know you have advocated solemn executions with black clothing and religious music, and, and that is why I presume to intrude in your time. I have a small demonstration. The death penalty should be abolished. Jeremy there's Bentham, no more progressive than Hillary Clinton. There's no question of death here. It would take place in a garden. An English garden would be ideal with roses. Roses last from early summer right into the winter. They provide a considerable pleasure of long duration. An act of sexual intercourse is a hundred times more intense a pleasure than the smell of a rose. But the roses last many hundred times longer. So multiplying the degree of pleasure by the duration, the ratio of pleasure of roses to that of sex is approximately 500 to 1. A comfort to us in our old age. Pierre, meanwhile, wheels on a stand covered with a black curtain. Sir, I too would like to live according to reason and mathematics. If you could support my scheme, my garden might become a reality. May I show you? Pierre pulls aside the black curtain. Inside, there is a man on the rack. I hope this has not been arranged for me. There's little to see in France now except the chain gang, and that seems to cause riots. I've had to accept that what my garden lacks is the ancient extreme punishments. Here you have the shock and, at the same time, the reasonable explanation of how the crime came about and how to resist any such tendencies in one's own life. But this sight is not giving us a pleasure greater than the man's suffering. I've seen enough. Release the man at once. I must devise punishments that will continue to be a novelty and a real attraction to the public. Stop, stop. It goes on and on. That's the perfection. It can go on all day and every day. Don't worry, Mr. Bentham. Come closer. He doesn't feel a thing. Can you see now? The wheels turn, but he's not stretched. It's an optical illusion. He's not suffering? That's my new discovery. There's no need for him to suffer. What matters is that he's seen to suffer. That's what will deter people from crime. Bentham to the man. Are you all right? I wouldn't mind a cup of tea. <laughs> you can get down now. Thank you. Pierre gives the man some money and he goes. Well, I'm most relieved. You, you must want your garden very much. I spend years on a scheme of my own, talking to architects, looking at land. I spent thousands of pounds of my own money. My brother thought of it first in Russia to supervise the workers in the dockyard. It's an iron cage, glazed, a glass lantern. An iron cage? A central tower. The workers are not naturally obedient or industrious, but they become so. The workers gaze up at the iron cage. No, no, your idea has to be reversed. Let me show you. Imagine for once that you're the prisoner. This is your cell. You can't leave it. This is the central tower, and I'm the guard. I'll watch whatever you do, day and night. I just have to sit here? Of course, in Russia, they were doing work. Bentham goes behind the curtain, which is the central tower. Pierre goes on sitting. Time goes by. He fidgets. Mr. Bentham, am I doing it properly? Do you want me to draw some conclusions? It's not comfortable being watched when you can't see the person watching you. You can see all of us prisoners, and we can't see each other. We can't communicate by tapping on the walls because they're watching us. Is that right? Mr. Bentham... I understand how it works. C- can I get up now? Bentham comes out the back of, of the stand, unseen by Pierre. He creeps around so that he's behind him while he talks. Bentham giggles silently. The prisoners can't get strength from each other. Is that what you want me to observe? The darkness of a dungeon is some protection. To be always in the light is pitiless. I begin to feel you must know what I'm like. I find it quite hard to sit still. I'm energetic by nature. I feel quite nervous. You get to know each prisoner, and you can compare him with the others, but I don't know how the others are behaving. You know everything that's going on, and I don't know at all. I think it's most ingenious, Mr. Bentham. An excellent means of control, without change, without pain. Can I get up now? Really, Mr. Bentham, I think I have appreciated your idea. Am I supposed to sit here all afternoon? I'm getting a little bored. I must admit, I'd wander off and look at the roses if you weren't keeping an eye on me, because I really think I've got everything out of this I can, and it's wasting my time to keep me sitting here instead of thousands of people watching one prisoner. One person can watch thousands of prisoners. I've always wanted to affect the spectators. You're affecting the person who is seen. This is a complete reversal for me. I think I've learned everything, Mr. Bentham. Is there anything else? That you don't need to be watched all the time. What matters is you think you're watched. The guards can come and go. It is, like your display, an optical illusion. Bentham goes. It's hard to give up my garden. I do have a weakness for a spectacle. But this way is far more reasonable. 
It's nothing like a theater, more like a machine. It's a form of power, like the steam engine. I just have to apply it. Um, and then he does. And, and he, um, I want to read one more thing, which was just his, like, his last monologue, Pierre's last monologue after he sets up this like model reform institution with only a little bit of murder, only when they get out of hand. And he's explaining the principle of it to somebody who's it's, it's in a, you know, nice uh, seaside resort town. And he's explaining how it works to somebody who's on vacation. He says, the trouble is I have to make a speech later on in front of the minister. He's going to lay the foundation stone. I'm always a little nervous as these official. I shall just explain quite simply how the criminals are punished, the sick are cured, the workers are supervised, the ignorant are educated, the unemployed are registered, the insane are normalized, the criminals... Now, wait a minute. The criminals are supervised, the insane are cured, the sick are normalized, the workers are registered, the unemployed are educated, the ignorant are punished. No, I'll need to rehearse this a little. The ignorant are normalized. Right. The sick are punished, the insane are educated, the workers are cured, the criminals are cured. The unemployed are punished. The criminals are normalized. Uh, something along those lines. And the holiday maker on this lovely beachside town says, well, it's a lovely day out for them. Nice treat. <laughs> and they drink some. Um, it's so chilling. Like that ending, it's like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's that meme of the crow being like a school is a Foucaultian disciplinary structure and then the person in the audience is like get new material and he flipped through his cards and it's just uh uh every a other institution is a disciplinary procedure a yeah is a yeah a hospital is a dis right, Foucaultian right. disciplinary structure uh, yeah just but and i i am very uh generally willing to uh ex laugh at those jokes but they're all designed the same way there yeah. I, I think it was just this last summer that a student dorm in some way designed more horrifyingly than Jeremy Bentham's Panopticon was proposed by a donor to, I think it was Stanford. Uh, and like one of the conditions to the uh, donation was that they would build this uh, design that he'd made, which like no natural sunlight for anybody, even those on the edge. Uh, only one exit. It's a death trap, but it, it provides mass, mass, uh, the maximum surveillance possible. Jeez. This is just like an exaggerated version of what donors do all the time, which is like, I'll give you my money, but you have to spend it on this stupid thing I like for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And then, then that is uh, written off as uh, charitable giving mm -hmm. as opposed to, uh, you know, giving that allows you to affect and have deciding power over the actual governance of the world. Yeah. Um, I think this place is so good. I hope you, did you enjoy it? This was your first time reading it, right? This is my first time reading it. I really did enjoy it. I'm glad you liked uh, it. I, I, because this is kind of a, I don't know, first in probably a couple episode series um, of, uh, in just like in defense of the British is one possible title. Mm -hmm. just like the only defense people, of the british is carol churchill which i don't uh, think she this, this is an anti-british like. anti podcast <laughs> i don't think carol churchill would support our being uh pro-british in any degree but she is from there and that's you know that's okay yeah thomas um, Paine. there was one good thomas Paine's good kind of good founder and yeah. uh the, like you know he like he wasn't perfect but the way that you can tell he was good is that he had his uh, american citizenship taken away and he also got exiled from England for uh, for for um, losing a libel case that was brought by Edmund Burke. That's uh, really Edmund Burke was, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Edmund Burke wrote his book about the French Revolution and Thomas Paine wrote some very unkind things about Edmund Burke in response to it. Um, and yeah, it, Edmund it, Burke it's, it's, sued him and won. As and a then, polemicist, I don't know that that was an incorrect judicial ruling. Like, you don't have to say it's a, a good decision, but it's like he was probably lying about some stuff. Yeah, I mean, he was sort of a hothead. And he, do you know what happened next? Uh, his uh, arrest in the French Revolution? Yeah, well, no, before that. So he, he, he flees England, goes to France, yeah. does not speak French, is immediately elected to the National Assembly anyway. There's a, it's a really cool moment in the French... Uh, early French Republic where they uh, 
just like we'll give citizenship to anybody who is deemed worthy of the revolution. Yeah. But also, uh, citizenship is granted if you've lived there a year or if you uh, <laughs> have owned property for a year. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is cool. And then the Jacobins are, uh, uh, you know, massacred. And that uh, we basically have never seen a comparable immigration system. Yeah, there was, some, there was some good things about the French But, but it is a bit silly to have someone in your legislature who doesn't speak the language of the legislature. It is, it is fun. That is maybe one step. Like just, that's just a practicality. And then he gets later, later arrested by the Jacobins because he's, he's like a very good friend or something. With Durandans and so yeah. gets arrested and is held in prison. Uh, I forget who, but one of the assistants to Washington in the, I think it was the American uh, diplomat to Paris, uh, just kind of loses track of some pleas for on the part of Thomas Paine to Washington directly. Uh, and we don't know if Washington knew that Thomas Paine was asking for help, but no help was given from the Americans. And yeah. he would have been executed if the Jacobins hadn't been overthrown. Um, my computer's about to die and I gotta go, but- That's uh, right. This is the end of the historical anecdote section of the podcast. Everybody have a wonderful evening or morning whenever you read listen Soft to this. Cops, guys. I don't even know if we said the title of this play off the top, but it's Soft, Soft Cops, Cops by Carol Churchill. Carol Churchill. The cops oh my are always God. looking at you. Uh, this would be a great play for like uh, a college theater production, uh, a graduate really school showcase. Yeah. There's like a, a, there's, you know, do, a couple dozen roles. Um, but like, Five really good roles and then a bunch yeah. of good bit parts if you yeah. just have folks who want to be on stage uh, and learning how to, I don't know, engage with the theater. I'm really, really cool. yeah, I, I think that's that sort of like college graduate school level of theater is maybe the best place to do a play with just big crowd scenes. But yeah. um, they got some good ones in here. Uh, yeah. I think this play is so good. It's one of my favorite of Carol Church's really plays. And and, Carol uh, Church is the greatest I, living playwright. Little... So uh, it's saying yeah, something. I, one other thing, uh, if you haven't read about the spy cop scandal in Britain, um, do it is terrifying. But basically, uh, you can't trust anybody in a social movement because they might be a cop. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's great. And as always, Google LASD gangs. You can find some fun stuff about hey, the gangs hey, that good. have been <laughs> the Organized police department works. gangs that have been uh, in existence for just, fifty just years. For just for the record, a lot a lot of people say, oh, you just support whatever union. Oh, whatever. Oh, you're an idealist. I, I don't support every union. I think police unions should be abolished, and I think that we should uh, burn every Rotary Club to the ground. <laughs> and on that note, see you next time.